Hello, it's Chuck from Above the Basement, Boston Music and Conversation. It has been a very quiet summer for ATB as Ronnie and I have been working on some major changes and additions to the program. Nothing we can announce yet, but we will let you know once things become official. And what better way to hit autumn running than to visit with the amazing Lori McKenna. With special guest host and Cornerscape founder Christina Latino, we sat with Lori before her recent show celebrating the 15th anniversary of her album Return to to Bittertown at Cary Memorial Hall in Lexington, Massachusetts. Stoughton, Mass. native Lori McKenna is a multi-Grammy winning singer-songwriter and the first woman ever to win the Country Music Association's Song of the Year two years running, as well as Academy of Country Music's first female songwriter of the year. In addition to her own songs, she has written for Faith Hill, Keith Urban, Little Big Town, and Tim McGraw, to name just a few. And just this past week, we were all able to watch her on the Americana Music Honors in a Awards show where she, as well as former ATB guest Mark Arelli, were each nominated for Song of the Year. Along with her incredible songwriting chops and beautiful voice, I discovered that Lori is truly one of the most down-to-earth, nicest people you could ever meet. So here is our conversation with Lori McKenna, recorded at Cary Memorial Hall in Lexington, Massachusetts. Yeah, it's been weird and good. Like, good weird, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's, like, learning. Inherently fairly nostalgic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is my favorite. Yeah. But personal nostalgia is different than general <laughs> nostalgia. Yeah. Or family, like, you know what I mean? Like, generalizing it and totally. writing it in a song is one thing. And then, like, oh, what was I thinking when I did that <laughs> is a whole other. This is your first time playing in this building. Right. No, I did a UMB members concert here a couple oh. of years ago. Oh, okay. Uh, Just by myself. So was it before they did the re they redid the whole thing? I think it was like this. I think it was yeah. done. I think it was. I swear it was like it might have been last year, but it oh, seemed like it was, it was like last two year, years ago. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's a great us. room. It's a yeah, great room. It's nice. I've never been in here before, but it is really beautiful. Was this supposed to be like a meeting hall, or was this like set up for arts? You know, I, I think I, I read what it used to be, and I don't remember what. It, there's yeah. a plaque downstairs that tells you. Tells the history, me, the tells history of it, but you know we're in Lexington, so I'm sure it has some kind of revolutionary. I should have. Re- I should read more plaques. <laughs> Don't ever read. <laughs> but also, aren't you a historian, all. like by trade? Well, no, technically, she's the historian. <laughs> I'm. There's I, a plaque. There's a plaque. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we just right, read the plaques. Right. Historians are just those who read the plaques. That's really the basic of that. So but my husband's a historian. Is that what we're saying? Because he's a plaque reader. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, there no, you she go. just graduated right. from Northeastern with her master's. Congratulations! And, Thank you, and I'm about to go into Northeastern for my master's. That's great. What yeah. is your what uh, is history? Your, oh, okay. Yeah, that too. So, so there, it's all true. It's yeah, all. it's all coming. It's, it's all, all full circle now. <laughs> so we all like nostalgia. Is what yeah. we're trying yeah. to say. <laughs> me more in song a, form. In song form. Okay. Yes. Yeah, me, me too. too. But thank you for joining us. Thank you. You've been busy. A little bit, but not like I think I've. Um, I get like little spurts of busyness, but I think I've been really lucky balancing lately. Yeah. Like April, I kind of messed up that month and it was a little busy, but because a lot of times, you know, you know how it is, like you book things and then other things come that yeah. you didn't, you weren't expecting. There's so much of the unexpected in what we do, but lately it's been pretty good. So she's the, she's the Lori McKenna expert. True fan over here. True fan Aww. over here. Not that I'm not a true fan. Yeah. But she knows her stuff. Well, but she also cheats because she knows she manages Mark, Mark Arelli. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
And although you did, Lyle is playing with you right now? Yes. So the first time I saw him, I just moved back up to Boston from New York, and he was playing with, um, with um, oh, um, Ryan Montblue. Oh, he was playing with Ryan Montblue. Cool. And cool. he blew me away. Yeah, I've but never so played with too. Lyle. These are the first shows that I've ever played oh, really? with Lyle. And, he's great. Um, he's really oh, he's good. so great. Yeah. He's so great. Yeah. yeah. It's, so it's just Mark. such a different thing. It's like whenever you have one of your main guys not there, it's so it changes everything. Yeah. But it's been really fun. You it's know nice a mean? breath of fresh air, not to diss the guy who used to be with you, but it's nice to have someone... Yeah, it's just a different breath. It's just yeah. it's just a, a totally different beast in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. but it's funny because these are old songs. Like if we were doing the regular set and it wasn't Mark, it would be strange. But for the most part, it's ten, eleven, twelve songs that I haven't played in fifteen years. Yeah. So it's kind of like this new band with Lyle in it. Now. So, so what inspired the Return to Bittertown tour? I went to your um, the Passim December show last year and loved that it kind of like dipped into mm-hmm. all these different periods and records that you had yeah. put out in the past. But it was cool to see that this one was going to be like a real re-examination of Bittertown. So what kind of got yeah. you excited to do that? I think this came about with my manager, Beth Laird. We had a conversation and I was talking about, I realized that Bittertown was 15 years old because my son David turned 15 years right. old. Mm-hmm. And Bittertown, I think, came out May 10th and he came out May 13th. So I knew oh. that they that <laughs> it was 15 years old and we were just chatting Did he come out in it. vinyl? I want to make sure. I, <laughs> and he came out? Thank you very much. I just he, made that up. That, I'm going to have to, I might have to try that. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I knew that the record, you know, was 15 years old and that's really the record that changed everything for me in yeah. that I also knew that the first record had probably been 20 because counting backwards it's like oh so the first record probably was 20 but there was no way I was going to go that deep <laughs> I was going <laughs> to take that deep but the show that you saw at Passim where we went we did like two songs from yeah. almost each album that was Mark Arelli and I driving home from like three hours from a show somewhere and just talking about like what can we do different at the Passim shows yeah. this year I loved and I was like, well, oh, we could just like do a little bit of each record. And he just, you know, Mark, he's just so, he's like, let's discuss. And like, yep. we went through each record and like, what songs do you still identify with? What songs do you still like? What songs do you think you want to play again? And so then when I talked to Beth about Bittertown being 15 years old and in Nashville, which is like my second home now, they only know me from that record. If they, if they knew me before before Girl Crush or whatever, they, they only know me from that record. So that's kind of where my career started in Asheville was Bittertown. So I was like, well, I'll just do the whole, we'll just do the whole thing. And she's like, well, let's re-record a couple of the songs. And mm-hmm. so we went in the studio with, with Luke Laird, who produced Stealing Kisses and Bible Song for me again. And that's where we get the seven-inch vinyl. And yeah. it's like only for these shows and one pressing. And like, let's just do it. And we went in and listening to back to that record, like every that Nashville band that we recorded with were like they were like, You made this record fifteen years ago? Like the production's pretty killer. It so. really is, yeah. And then when I went back and sort of listened, I was like, man, Lauren Entrance knows what's up. Like, (laughs) he did a good job. It was Lauren and and Kevin Barry and me and a little bit of Megan Toohey and a little bit of, like, Mark came and sang. But for the most part, I was so scared to be in the studio. I saw Lauren last night, and he's like, remember we did that because you hate being in the studio. I'm like, I still hate being in the studio. Really? 100% 100% hate really? it. Really? I love being in the studio. I know. All, most of my friends say the same thing. They love it. Yeah. I hate it. 
Is it the, what do you hate about it? I hate the whole thing. I hate like listening to the same song. I do, I can't play to a click track. Yeah, that's tough um, yeah. But I've, you know, since grown past that, like the last few records I've made since Massachusetts have been, like I just, that's my first thing is I just can't use a click track. So the last few records have been with Dave Cobb and we just play live, which yeah. is what we did that's on cool. Massachusetts with Mark. And then I'm okay, I'm a little bit better and working with Dave Cobb, what he does is kind of just like you're just playing a live show, <laughs> you know? And that I can stand a little bit, but I still can't stand just picking everything apart and putting it back yeah. together. And I'm just like, oh, I'm so, I get so, yeah. I'm like, maybe it's not a good song. Yeah, it's funny to hear you say that you feel that way sometimes because I feel like this is going to be a weird comparison. But uh, when I was in college, I sang in an acapella group briefly mm -hmm. and we went into the studio and I felt like all of the fun that I had, like singing with my friends, kind of got sucked out of it for yeah, that moment because I was I just like yeah. thinking, you're like, you're examining everything you do in a, mm -hmm. like a very critical way. Like, do I want to put this out there for forever as opposed to just enjoying the music? Yeah. But, well, I mean, I don't put it above playing live, certainly. Yeah. No, yeah. But I, I like the experience, uh, the uh, experimental part of it, deconstructing the song sometimes. Sometimes you just find something new with it, but... Uh, I mean, I but I get it. I mean, I yeah. can understand why people don't like it. Yeah. I mean, especially with yeah. the click track, is it can be a nightmare. Yeah, for me, it's not like, oh, this will be in the world forever. Is it not perfect? Because I'm far from a perfectionist. I actually don't like things being perfect. Yeah, not that they ever are in music usually, especially if I'm involved. But my favorite part of the process is writing. Like, even my friends that I write with, they'll be like, well, let's get this down, and then, like, let's do, we'll throw a click up, we'll just play the good, and I'm like, can't we just write another song? <laughs> like, I just, I just, the part I like best is the writing, so that's the part. If it doesn't work in the studio, just naturally or organically, yeah. I'm like, it's, something must be wrong, mm -hmm. you know? Well, the, the bands that I like the most are bands that play well live, and mm -hmm. as a matter of fact, like, like a band like Wilco. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge Wilco fan. I don't listen to any of their studio albums. Everything mm -hmm. I listen to is, is them live. live. I just love bands who can play their instruments and play them well and play them mm -hmm. live. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. they They're can, a good combo of like arty, but still just like good to listen to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did I answer the question you yeah. asked me? I don't know. <laughs> We're just oh, okay. talking. Uh, okay, sorry. Just talking. Uh, you know what I also like? I like the... Um, the the Massachusetts town sign that mm -hmm. you had bitter town yeah to. Mm -hmm. I like that that was from back in the day my sister in law Nancy did a bunch of pictures around bitter town and that was um, she's passed away and I have my brother gave me like this old K drive you know this old hard drive with <laughs> with all those pictures on it and that was on there that she photoshopped. It's very it really is so, like I think my writing is a little bit like a map stamp on it anyway, like sort of things I learned about myself that I didn't realize everybody in the world didn't call it a pocketbook. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like things like that I learned through songs, like about the way I sang, like just starting out, like it's like, oh, you don't pronounce your R's at all. And I mm -hmm. now I have to like like I sort of fake a southern accent when I'm singing because otherwise I wasn't it wasn't coming through and all those things came came back to me, relearning yeah. re all this stuff. I can tell, like, when I learned a new chord, like, because it's all over a song. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I learned a B7 that month, and that's why this song, like, completely has its head ra wrapped around that. a B, B, B major 7. Okay. That's really interesting. It kind of deconstructs, it can deconstructs the album, especially, are you playing it? Sequence. Side A to B? Are you playing No, the reason we're not, we were going to do that originally, and the reason that I can't really do that is because 
we flipped a couple ballads because there was a couple, there's like a lower one towards the end of the record. And, and then we, this is the, so this will be the fifth show tonight. Yeah, and okay. we kind of have morphed it over. We started in DC and it didn't seem like most of the audience knew what we were doing. Like they didn't know mm. the songs because of course it's farther away from here. Yeah. Um, so there was a little bit of like, let's throw some old, some new stuff in there too, and all that. So it's it's changed each night. It's changing a little bit. Cool. So you know, it's not just necessarily just the album tonight. No, there's 13 songs on Bitter Town, and we're doing 11, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, I couldn't believe there was 13 songs on that record when I went back after I said I'm going to do the whole record. I'm like, oh my god, who puts 13 songs on a record? Like I had to look this stuff up online and try to figure <laughs> out. Lyle had to teach me a whole song in rehearsal. I'm like, I don't know what I was doing, but I know I did something. <laughs> yeah, so you really had to relearn these songs. Yeah, because I, like I'll learn tricks along the way because I'm not that great of a player. So I'll learn like just Laurie-isms of how to get through something or Laurie-isms. the way I wrote it. Is like a weird chord over a weird note or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And my musical friends know what it is, but I didn't do it on purpose. You know what I mean? And you can't tell them play this. And so then when you try to figure it out, I can't figure out what I was doing. Yeah. So you'll see, you'll see tonight. If you're staying for the show, you'll see like Paul Kahansky is like stepping up to me quite often because he's his energy is changing to show me where to move and things like that in the songs and I know them a little bit now but oh, it, it took it, it took a little bit it That's took funny. a little bit yeah like, can so, we just do the songs I know how to play <laughs> you're the boss just be like you know what we're scratching these three I don't remember those parts fire yeah. yourself so you were mentioning that your favorite part is writing mm-hmm. and the tree came out this year right Last year, long ago, yeah, it it came out last year. Yeah, it's Um, crazy. Time flies. Yeah, it really Mm. does. And I feel like I think of Bitter Town certainly as like, you know, as you were saying, a moment that really changed a lot of things for you. And then I think of the bird and the rifle as another one of those moments, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm a big country music fan, and I feel like I get a lot of fun when I know that you were like a co-writer on a song that I hear and love on the radio. Mm -hmm. And I'm also just a fan of your music. So I'm wondering kind of how you feel about balancing your co-writing stuff and your own stuff and like yeah. what you have like are you working on a new project for yourself right now or I don't know whatever you want to yeah. talk about yeah so I'm gonna go I'll probably record in I think October we're going in cool for a little bit and we'll record again and so that will be like next year project but like I said obviously the writing is the thing that happens always you know and I don't write every day but I write a ton and um and I co-write a ton and I write not as much as I used to write solo, but I write several songs a month, probably solo. So um, <laughs> it's pretty prolific. But so yeah, and it's like I do love it. You know what I mean? And I, it does make sense that I would have sort of issues sometimes of what is mine and what is. But I've never. It's, I don't know why, but I've never had that problem. The only thing that came close was humble and kind in the way that that worked out yeah. because of my record cycle and Tim's. Now I'm not going to ever get in Tim McGraw's way as an artist. <laughs> And he truly, like, does not care. Like, he would, you know, tell me to do whatever I wanted. But that wor- that timing worked out perfectly because I knew I was cutting it with Dave Cobb and I knew that record would come out just as that single was ending. Yeah. And it was, like, literally perfect timing. Wow. So, so that's going to be one of my questions. Have you ever written a song meant for somebody else and been like, you know, this is, I like this one a lot. I want to keep this for myself. Yeah, it, it hasn't, hasn't really happened, happened in that way. There's been, 
Like for Massachusetts, we cut sober for that record, mm -hmm. for Massachusetts as a band. For that period in time, we played it a bunch live. But Little Big Town was going to single that song. We had enough songs anyway, so I was like, let's just let this one off the record, and we won't put it on, and then maybe we'll bonus track it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, but when all that came to be, it was like, oh, we don't really need to do that now. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I get sick of the song, or I get sick of playing it, or whatever. <laughs> but the times it, where it has been is this, like, I don't feel that precious about songs where I think, oh, they're just mine. Mm -hmm. And I always, like, I'm just happy to be on a song or happy to have written a song that other people might like. So I always feel like, and I've heard other people say this, like, I know that back in the day, songs were, that's what they were for. It was always the intention to be interpreted by all different people. Yeah. Or people would write them as communities and sing them, at, you know, in all different voices. And so I've never really felt like, oh, I can't share this. Like, it's my, I've never turned in a song to my publisher and said, keep this just for me. Wow, that's cool. Maybe that's a bad sign, but I haven't. No, um, that's great. And I mean, sometimes those things will overlap. Like when we go in now, we'll watch, and especially if I've co-written. If I wrote, wrote it by myself, it doesn't matter. But if it's a co-write, I do want to be careful of my co-writers, and I don't want to step on their toes. Right. Like Haley, who we're playing with tonight, I wrote Happy People with her. Mm -hmm. And so I put it out on the tree. Little, Little Big Town put it out first. I put it out on the tree, and she's coming out with a record, and it's on that. Like... I love that. Like, we all have a different version of that song. That's so now. cool. Yeah, so. the life cycle of kind of dovetails well into what you're doing tonight also is mm -hmm. like revisiting and reinterpreting perhaps some of the songs that you wrote longer ago. Yeah, it is true, though. Like, I feel like music in a lot of ways, do you know Dietrich Strauss? Yes. He's a good friend of mine, and I feel like he always talks about how like historically music was more social, like people would come over and play on porches and everyone had a very personal, yeah. casual relationship with music sure. that seems like people don't necessarily have as, mm -hmm. as often anymore. He has said that to me a few times, but it like really sticks with me and I, I feel like I think about that a lot, especially in relationship to co-writing, just it is this kind of different form of shared musical experience. Well, so the, I've said this a few things times before and it's, I might have been when I met you for the Sub Rosa Mm -hmm. um, where it's Chris Delmhorst, Dietrich Strauss, Zach. Hickman. Yeah, um, and they get together and they all play each other's songs. Yeah. And they just kind of share that mm -hmm. moment. I really love it. It's so very, I mean, they, they do it at mm -hmm. Lizard Lounge. Mm -hmm. And that's a very homey, everyone's like yeah. kind of surrounding, mm -hmm. everyone seems to be on the stage as well. Yeah, um, I kind of feel like you're so in a basement. That. Yeah. And not <laughs> yeah. above a basement. That's true. Yeah, time passes differently yeah, in the like Lizard well Lounge. <laughs> Yeah. But it is too, and Boston's very community driven, yeah. I think, in that way. I mean, maybe like more so than any other city I've ever known, other than Nashville. Yeah. There's things like that in Nashville. So, my experience with music on that level, like especially being part of the Boston music scene, is all of those guys that you mentioned and women that you mentioned, they all, and Mark included, and everyone that's playing in this band tonight. Yeah. They all are part of each other's music in that way. Yeah. Like they all can share their songs with one another. I love that. That way. And I can share my song with you because you know how to play the guitar. But if you play <laughs> your guitar, your song to me, I'm like, that's a good song. But I don't know necessarily how to jump in. I don't know how to harmonize. I'm not great at playing along unless I know the song. I have to learn it first. I just can't jump up somewhere and do something with somebody unless I really know it and have yeah. rehearsed it. When I started in the Boston community and started doing open mics and all that, that was like one of the first thing I noticed how cool that is that they all do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I have no ability to do that. And so for a little bit I tried and I thought, oh, okay, I'll learn. And 
like, what's wrong with me? Why do I not play well with others? What's my problem here? When this record came out, I had never co-written a song. I find a home in Nashville because of this record, because Faith Hill cut some songs off it. I get a publishing deal. And my publisher's like, you should co-write songs. I'm like, I've never done that before. But that's where I found my community. Not that I don't love the people here yeah. and what they do, but yeah. I really like I really honor it, but I know that I'm not driven in that way. But as far as writing songs, that's where I, I could help perhaps mm. Rose Polanzani write a song, perhaps. Or I could help Rose Cousins write a song. Yeah. I, can, I can help her try to pull the best song out of the room and out of her heart that day. Like, I love that seat in the room where you're not the artist and you're just the friend or the therapist or the cheerleader or the coffee maker or whatever you are yeah. to watch that song come to life. And that's really where I found my community. That's why co-writing was such a huge opening door for me because oh. now when I come back and I talk to Mark about a song like, hey, we play each other's songs in the car all the time, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, we did, like, who'd you do this with? You know what I mean? And, and, and that's where I like understood myself as a musician is in the co-writing well, I'm wondering if, like, I'm sure you were, you were shortchanging yourself on your abilities, but if I go along with that premise, do you think that barrier for you forced you to be more of a songwriter than someone who just played covers and did, and did that kind of stuff? Do yeah, probably so. I think most of my limitations have certainly formed my style. And I think well, I mean that, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think, think my limitations have really your own style that brought way. me farther than anything that I was just naturally able to do because mm -hmm. I wasn't one of those people that. I mean, I, I came up with Mary Gaucher. Like, we would end up at an open mic together, and she would be the feature, and I would, you know, put my name on the list. And we kind of both stuck out like sore thumbs because we were older than everybody else there. <laughs> and I learned from her. Like, I think when I first started, I thought, well, whatever you can just do naturally, that's what you can do. And I, I knew mm -hmm. people went to school and, and took lessons and all those things, but I just didn't realize that you can really work on your craft and you can and I watched her grow every time I watched her make a record she had grown so much she had like put so much more into it and her voice became so velvety and so perfect and she found where it sits and she stayed there and then the words became you know more and more and more perfect and mm -hmm. she's such a masterful songwriter she's like a genius mm -hmm. and I watched her do that and so she was a big influence for me in that way like wait a minute I have a little spot that I probably my voice probably sits best in too and I know what I like to write about I'll just do that strangely enough she was the one that gave Bitter Town to the publisher that signed me right, ultimately yeah, right, right. so it was all just a full circle thing but I learned a, a ton watching her hmm. you think someone's being the best version of themselves, and then you see them a year later, and they're, it's it's an even better version. You're I like, love that feeling. Love that. Yeah. It's like you f have so much love and appreciation for these friends and people you admire, and absolutely, mm -hmm. you like think of them as fully formed. Yeah. And they just continue to change. That's something, like, as an artist manager that I really enjoy also, because I feel like I've always loved being a fan of an artist and expecting them to change a lot and mm -hmm. appreciating that. And I feel like now getting to help hopefully help more fans like be excited about that journey because everyone changes like people change songwriters change and I feel like sometimes people can be like oh I just want another like different songs but sounds exactly like yeah. this first album of this yeah. band I, I like and it's I and the love, reason like, they want that is because it reminds them of where they were in their yeah. life at that moment you know what I mean like we all kind of do that to a certain extent but that's why music is just so it's unbelievable the, the, just all the places it takes you and all the 
everything that I've ever, like, every part of my life that's grown from music, which is almost every part, it's, like, just been shocking to me that, like, it's given back so much to me that it affects my kids or it affects Mm -hmm. my husband you know what I mean or we get to go somewhere that we never would have been because I'm going to go sing one song you know what I mean or something it's like it's crazy I won't even there's certain music I won't even listen to because it's my fall music Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm like I don't listen to this in the fall yeah because it just emotes that yeah yeah. Or evokes that for me. Whatever, it really for does. Yeah, I can't listen to the national anymore because I listened to it at a time in my life when I was like really sad. Yeah, I can get that too. Yeah. Oh I mean, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. My daughter last night went to see Thomas Rhett mm-hmm. at uh, and sort of like a ton of people I know. Xfinity, people, right? Or it was Xfinity, so was. right? And it was packed. Yeah. I couldn't believe it, but my daughter was getting into country music. Like the country pop thing, mm-hmm. and there's like two big radio stations, if not more, here in Boston, mm-hmm. and all her friends listen to it, and it kind of came out of nowhere for me. I'm like, where? How did country become such a big up in New England? I mean, just because of where we I are. I think it is the radio stations here, because we have two major radio country radio stations here, and yeah. then we have Providence has a as a pretty big radio station as well. So mm-hmm. like, I'm I live south of the city, so I can get all three of those stations uh. on my car. But I will say, when I toured with Tim and Faith, the first time was 12 years ago, maybe. And even then, they were like, it's crazy. I'm not sure what's happening. But the big, like the craziest, most loving audiences we see are in New York, which did not have a country station up until huh. recently. Hmm. In Boston, like, what's going on? And I think that maybe because of XM and other ways or television or all these things, yeah. people up here were discovering that there's a lot of pop in country, you know, commercial country radio now. But also, I think they liked what the lyrics were saying, mm-hmm. where pop music was sort of maybe being more sexualized or whatever it was doing. Yeah. Country music is sort of like when you say your daughter is listening to country, I'd be like, that's great because, yeah. you know, I listen to pop music too. I love pop music. Yeah. My kids listen to everything. But if you still are a lyric person and it's not just the way it makes you feel and you want to listen to a story, like you're going to find that on commercial country radio. Well, they definitely know, both my daughters, they know all the lyrics. Yeah. They sing along to every yeah. song that I've never even heard before yeah. on the radio when I let them listen to it. And Thomas Rhett is a hell of a writer. He's mm. a damn good writer. Yeah. I promise you. Like he, some of his songs, you're just like, man, that is so smart. Yes. Yeah. It's really, really good writing. He said, it was a quote last night, he said, this is the greatest crowd I've ever played in front of. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like, sorry for Boston, laughing. Right? I just, I always, whenever someone says that, of I'm course, like, you know, I, I see right through yeah, you. I've I know, talked I to it, several but, of them about it, honest to God, and they're always like, what's with the audiences here? Like, they love the audiences up here. Yeah. They really do. Great, I'm glad they're representing yeah. well. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, good. I like to are. see that they... They, that they do that, but I don't know. It just seemed like it just. We have good audiences. Me. You'll see Haley tonight. Haley Witters is opening the show, and she, you know, she's been with us for these this little run, and she wins you over. If you don't know her, she wins you over right away. She's just completely authentically herself. She's a great writer. She's a great singer. She's a sweetheart, and every night I hear I'm like getting putting makeup on and I can hear like the audience just going crazy for her and she's like wow your audiences are so nice and it's like it's not my audience yeah, it's the audiences here yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you know they're great they yeah. really are great this is a real niche question but I wanted to ask you about so I listened to the New York Times podcast mm-hmm. uh, which is just like their pop music criticism podcast and it really touches on all genres of music emerging artists really established artists 
music tech. Like it's it's a really fun podcast. And I was listening to an episode earlier this year where they kind of did a rundown of like songs that the New York Times critics were liking that maybe like maybe you haven't heard. And uh-huh. one of them was Arms of a Lion by Heather, Heather Morgan. Morgan. Yeah. And I listened to it and loved the song. And it was only after like, you know, getting home and unplugging my phone and looking that I saw that you were on that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you sing on the song. Like, and often when you co-write songs that get cut by other artists, I feel like you don't often sing on them, but that one yeah. you did. What happened to kind of bring that about? Well, she, Heather comes up to my house She's been up several times to write, and she she's written a bunch of Brett Eldridge stuff, and she, as you know from that song, has like a voice from heaven. Yeah. She and she's also just a sweet, sweet heart of a person, and she came. It might have been like the summer before that record came up, and we, she had she wanted to write that song. She had that title, and I was like, oh, good lord, I love that. You know what I mean? And. That's one thing, like I was saying about co-writing that I love so much. It's like if somebody shows up that day and they have like, okay, my heart was just broken. I have this idea. And instead of you driving the song or you reading a title, it's like you kind of follow the strongest emotion in the room or the strongest Mm -hmm. energy in the room. And that was just the two of us, so that was easy. But just sort of being the therapist or the best friend or the sister or the mom you know what yeah. I mean in that in this case um and sort of helping her through that song and I think I think she said it, it, this in the press too like she kind of had the title for a minute and she she kind of saved it so we could write I think sometimes when you write with three people and you have an idea that that it's that vulnerable three people might be hard but if you know oh I have a couple of days where it's just me and, and one person and maybe you've tried on your own maybe she tried on her own to write that but then she thought maybe she was getting to I don't know you yeah. know what I mean but it's like a, a two-way is sometimes really good for songs that are that raw really and she just she just was remarkable now that song wouldn't be something I would cut because it's it was such her story in that moment and so she was making that record I have a couple of songs Borrowed Heart I wrote with her as mm-hmm. well on that record and I think she knew I could probably handle the harmony because it was easy enough. And I went in and sang it, and I was so thrilled, you know, to get to sing with her. She's just an awesome person. That's so cool. I'm glad that they they put that on there. I didn't realize that. Oh, yeah. That's great. So one thing that I really love about your music is that I feel like your songs are often very grounded in in a specific place. Like, there's a very strong sense of place Mm -hmm. in all of your writing. And... I'm wondering where you think that comes from or like if that's intentional or if it's just kind of, you know, I didn't realize I was doing that. And I think actually it was like an interview I did like doing interviews like this. It's like you learn so much about yourself. Like I (laughs) didn't know I was doing that. But now that you say that, I probably am. And and someone brought it up to me. I think it was after the tree, like just doing interviews for that record because it's so family oriented. I guess I just naturally do that because I live in the town I grew up in and my kids all went to the schools that my husband and I went to, and I can walk to my dad's house. And I went through that phase, you know, where it's like, yeah, we're going to get out of here someday. And then it's like, oh, let's just stay. <laughs> the kids are all in school, you know what I mean? And, and I, I go through these ups and downs. I go through these, like, love affair, like, breakups with my town, you know what I mean? Where I'm like, like I love the people that live here, but why do they do this? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And all that. And it comes out a lot. I love a good town song, too. Marcarelli always says, Laurie, the amount of songs you've gotten out of Stone, Massachusetts, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. But it's but it's kind of, they they become you hope they're universal ideas that other people can apply mm-hmm. to their places in the world. Yeah. That's what I think is so good about it though, is that it is based on something very specific. I think sometimes people try to write 
in a way that it will, they're like, I'm going to make this general so everyone can hear their, or their town or their song or whatever their story in it. But sometimes you lose the ability to really connect. And a lot of those things are, there's a lot of them that are, that even if we've had very different childhoods, that they will apply to all of us. You know what I mean? And there's a lot of those things. So it's funny, like they always say, like your mind is either, you know, you're either a nostalgic person or you're not. I don't know too many songwriters that are not nostalgic. (laughs) I really don't. Every time I get in a room and someone's like, I want to write this song about my town, I'm like, that's what I'm Let's here. Go. Let's do it. I, I'm here, you know. Um, Did, have you ever worked with Mary Gaucher uh, with Songwriting Soldiers? I haven't, but I am going to. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I saw her at the Grammys and, and just was just so excited that, that she was there. And, and that record just, she's stunning. Rivals she, and Rose She's stunning. Yeah. And, and I was just so happy that you know that she for her to bring that i think the cbs sunday morning piece they did did you see that i i saw part of it i think um just like it like shook me to the core it made me sort of i reached out to darden after i i saw mary i opened up for patty griffin at the ryman and mary was there and and i talked to her a little bit about the cbs sunday morning piece and the the writer that she's with in that piece who's in a wheelchair at the Mm -hmm. time is walking now oh wow oh wow and um oh it's just amazing amazing it's it's got to be hard work for sure but it's amazing work so i went back and i there's a website you know you can go on and you can listen to a bunch of oh yeah sure yeah we talked we talked to mary and we also talked to darden and um, even like when we were talking to Darren, we talked to him at Pessim, and I mean, he's been doing songwriting with soldiers for a while now. Yeah, like just, 11 he, years or something. And he was say? getting emotional. He, I mean, you still get, he still gets very emotional yeah. when he talks about it. Yeah. It's hard work, but he certainly, and Mary certainly love what they're doing there. It's an amazing project. Yeah, so. I mean, I think we all love music mm. because we know what it can do, what it does to us, like you said about sad songs. Like it's times songs you listen to when you're sad or songs you listen to when you're happy like we all have those things but when you see it that bright as you know a song that has transformed someone when you write something and someone says i understand myself better from listening to that song Mm. it's like that's crazy yeah we got to wrap it up because i know you got to get going but what do you what would surprise people that you listen to like you were like a rage against the machine fan or like a oh what do i listen to that's surprising what do you listen to that's I don't think I listen to that much that's surprising, probably. I'm like a huge, I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan, and that last, that record. (laughs) This morning I was watching a, um, an old video of Cindy Walker explaining You Don't Know Me and how she wrote it. I had my back to my husband who was in the living room, I was in the kitchen, I was watching, Barry Dean, my friend and co-writer, sent me all these videos of Cindy Walker, and and she starts crying in the interview, and it made me start crying. And then I watched the video, a video of her singing it, and he yells, and he's like, "Who is that?" And I'm like, "It's Cindy Walker." And he's like, "Send me that link." It's just so <laughs> like it's so, like in a million years, I wouldn't have thought he would have asked me that. You know what I mean? So it's fun. Like we have everything accessible to us now, yeah. and mm-hmm. it's fun. You know, my husband's a guy you should really ask. He brings out some stuff from the, the 70s. Oh my God, the yeah. historian, yeah. my husband, the plumber slash historian. We'll be in the pool, like he's just throwing songs on the on the Bluetooth speaker that I'm like, what made you think of this? <laughs> it's usually this, in the area of the 70s, you know, when he was yacht in the back kind of seat stuff. of his mom's car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, That's yeah. I grew up then. Yep. I'm a big Yacht Rock fan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. So, um, Harry well, Chapin. thank you very much for sitting with us. We really thank appreciate you. your time. And um, yeah, psyched to hear you with uh, Lyle and also mm-hmm. uh, Mark. Paul, Mark, Mark, Paul Kahansky, and, yeah, Paul. And John Sands, and Jamie Edwards, and yeah. 
Yeah. Nice big band. I mean, they're just amazing. They're, I called them my beloved band because I really just worship them all. They're really great people. And how long is the tour going on for? Going for? Um, one more day after today. Oh, that's it? Yeah. Oh, oh I do right. think short and sweet. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we do a Texas tour like every two years, and it's like four shows, and I call it time. <laughs> no one tours Texas like uh, me. I'm like, four shows, let's go. <laughs> and, then, and then is there another tour after this? Or is there something else happening? No, I'm going to do Americana Fest and all that, and then record in... October, but I'm writing all the time. Yeah. You know, I'm in Nashville two, two, sometimes three times a month. I had shows last week, and then I forgot. I'm like, I'll see you boys next week, and I'm like, oh, I'm, I forgot. I'm two days in Nashville writing in between. It's good to be back. Yeah, yeah it's good. Can't yeah. wait to hear what's next. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you guys. Well, thank you very thank much. Thank you. Yay. This yeah. was great. We would like to thank Lori for taking the time to talk with us. You can purchase her music and learn more about her at lauriemckenna.com. We would also like to thank Cary Memorial Hall for their hospitality. Find out who is playing there next at this beautiful hall at carryhalllexington.com. Finally, we would like to thank Christina Latino of Cornerscape for sitting in for Ronnie. Cornerscape is all about connecting people with great music. They do this by focusing on three areas, artist management, live music events, and their music and arts curation service. They believe that music can forge deep, powerful connections between people, that music brings joy, and that artists deserve careers that fulfill them both professionally and personally. You can learn more about Christina's work at cornerscape.com. Go to AboveTheBasement.com where you can sign up for our newsletter, listen and subscribe to our podcast, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, and look at all the nice pictures we post on Instagram. We are everywhere. On behalf of Ronnie, Christina, and myself, thanks for listening. Tell your friends, and remember, Boston music, like its history, is unique. <laughs>